Let me ask you what Scott asked you. I want to know for myself. Are you ready for Christmas? Yeah. No, not really. Yeah, yeah. Come and go. Yeah, yeah. Are you? Let me let me ask it this way. Are you excited for Christmas? Yeah. All right. Two people over here. We. I, I'll tell you what. Like I just love Christmas and what it brings. And um, you know, I'm, again, I'm so thankful for for all of you who are helping us. Uh, participate in Advent with the lighting of the candles and the readings, because I feel like, uh, I don't know if you felt this, but I felt this this morning, that there was a moment, maybe even in the middle of that, maybe in the middle of another song, where it really, the, the week and the day and the season really, again, slowed down for me. It was a moment for me to, to sit and to pause and to reflect, oh, yeah, this is what Christmas is really about. This is what the season is really about. And we all need those moments. We all need those times. Uh, I mean, we want to celebrate with family the way we do. We want to have fun with them the way we, we've, we've planned. But we also need to pause and to reflect and to remember what the season is really about because that's the best gift that we can give our family and friends at Christmas. And so, uh, again, thankful for, for the families that help us with the candles and the, and the worship team leading us in song over the last couple of weeks as we prepare. Hope you're making plans to join us Christmas Eve uh, at 9.30 and, and 4 o'clock for our 4 o'clock being our, our candlelight Christmas service. It's going to be fantastic. So as you think about those things, let me ask you this question. Uh, have you ever been lost? Have you ever, have you ever, um, now all the men in the room, no, no, never been lost. Have you ever been lost? Have you ever felt like you didn't know where you were? You didn't know where you were going? You didn't know how to get back to where you started from? As a kid, um, did you ever get separated from your parents as a kid in a department store or in the grocery store? Do you ever feel that? And the anxiety, right? Now, all the good parents would say they had anxiety too. All the parents that needed a break were like, yeah, we'll find them. No, we have that anxiety, right? Like there's that moment where you realize something of value has lo is lost. My child is like, I don't know where they are. I don't know where they've been. Let me ask you this. You ever wake up in the middle of the night with that jolting uh, feeling in the middle of the night and you don't know what day it is and you don't, and you don't know where you are? You're literally in your own bedroom, but for something has been going on and you wake up and you don't know even where you are. And it takes you like, like 15 or 30 seconds, but it feels like hours to reorient yourself and understand where you are and actually what is going on. Do you remember how relieved you felt when you realized what day it was and what time it was? Do you remember how relieved you felt when you found your child running through the department store? Do you remember how relieved you felt when you were found again? When you knew you weren't lost? You may have been off the path. You may have been displaced for a moment. You may have been wandering for a period, but you were found again. And you were set back with family. You were put back together with those who loved you. You were back on the right track. Well, as we move into week three of our Advent 
season in our Christmas series called Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, We come to the Advent theme of joy this morning. We're talking about joy. And as the, as we look at the scriptures, we're reminded that, that joy is really, is really a state of being and not simply an emotion. Joy is a state of being that doesn't, that doesn't move with the, with the issues of the day. That joy is something that sits deep in our heart, deep in our spirit, deep in our soul, and shouldn't be affected by the things of everyday living. And I'll tell you what, I, I don't know about you, I had one of those weeks this week where I'm glad that's the definition of joy. Because there was enough stuff in my week that was, if you remember back to last week, that was trying to rob my peace. I had enough this week that was trying to rob my peace that I was wondering if it was starting to affect my joy. And I was just reminded that that joy is is not moved by emotion, but joy sits in the center of who we are. Joy is also something that's expressed, right? It is is a, a state of being, but it's also expressed out of that state of being. It's something that we, that we use to celebrate. It's expressive as well. In the uh, Old Testament, joy is closely related to victory over one's enemies. We saw that in the, in, in, uh, the Advent reading uh, this morning, that joy came out of victory, that joy comes out of, of something that's going on, that there is an expression of joy. Often we'll hear it this way, come and rejoice with us, or we rejoice over something. So it's not something, it's not only something that just sits in us and we feel it on the inside, but we also release it and express it to the world around us. I want you to know my joy. I want you to understand what I'm not just happy about, but filled with joy over. And so I will rejoice. I will celebrate. I will stand and clap and I will shout out loud, right? We rejoice over things. It's the expression of what lives inside of us. In the New Testament, joy is still used for victory, but it's often found for victory in salvation. In the Old Testament, it's victory over the enemies. In the New Testament, it's victory because of our salvation, because of our restoration, because of our redemption and and being brought back together with God in relationship. There's rejoicing. The joy bubbles up and spills out. It's expressed. Paul in the New Testament frequently expressed joy that he had regarding salvation as he wrote to the different churches. And he prayed that, that they would have joy as well for what God was doing in the hearts and the lives of people. So appreciated uh, the Gideons video this morning that we showed, right? You know, well, the Gideons are, are one of our partner ministries and, and we, we help support them. So glad that we could have that table and the, 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 uh, the video to remind us once again to bring to our memory uh, the joy of people finding God in Christ through the scriptures. You ever been in the hotel and you open the drawer and what's in the drawer? 
the Bible placed there by the Gideons because of our gifts and donations to that organization worldwide. And I'm sure if we would go to the Gideons website, I'm sure that there are stories and testimonies of how people have found God in Christ through those Bibles placed at just the right moment, at just the right place, at just the right time. And, and in the New Testament, Paul, as he writes to the churches, he's like, we should have joy when we hear these stories. Paul prays that the joy of God would be in us because of that. Not just because of what you experience and what I experience, but because of what other people are experiencing should bring joy to our spirit. Joy in us and for us because we see victory. It's, it, it's not just that they came to Christ, it's but what that means for them in their life. Victory. They get to win over the challenges that they're facing. They get to win over the, the, the sin that, that, that binds them to this earth. We can win that. We can overcome that. It's, it is restoration with God. It is being brought back to the family. It is sitting down at the adult table at Christmas and eating with the family. But it's also victory over that which trips us up in life. And it's victory over the things that hold us back. Joy sits in us and is expressed when we see that happening in the lives of other people. And in Luke chapter 15, in this story that Pastor Scott read for us, we see Jesus and the joy of heaven. We see Jesus seeking after us. And and as we read it, inside of the Advent season, we see a few different textures to this story. Luke chapter 15, if you have it, we can turn there with me. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, and it says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were, were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. I'm going to pause right there for just a minute. And I want us to, to, to reflect on what we read just in that context. Notice how in the first two verses, in those first two verses, the context reveals Emmanuel, God with us. Can we go back to those verse, first two verses on the screen? It says this. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Do you see Emmanuel, God with us, already being described by Luke in the first two verses? God is with us. In what way, you say? In what, what do we mean? How is Luke describing that? Well, the tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to hear him. You can't draw near to someone if they're not with you. Jesus, God with us, was so close and so um, connected to the people in his community that this is what it was said about him. 
that the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him because he has already come to us. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. This man, this man, this Jesus, this God, this Emmanuel, God with us, what does it say? Receives sinners and eats with them close connection relationship. Luke is already setting in on, on, on the, the, the context and the stage for what Jesus is about to talk about as God with us, Emmanuel, the God of heaven who walks with us so close to us that he, we can hear him and talk to him and connect with him and eat a meal with him in that context in that day. Luke is showing us already that God in Jesus walks with us. That God in Jesus has interacted with humanity. Yes, at a specific point and at a specific day and on a specific uh, uh, time frame, God in Jesus did that physically. And he does it with us today by his spirit because he did it physically. God in Jesus sat with us in our most broken state. What was the charge against him? What was the charge? He receives sinners. We don't like that word in churches in North America these days, do we? We don't like the word sin. We don't like the word sinners. We try to whitewash it, okay? So, okay. The charge against Jesus was that he receives all those who make mistakes. You can whitewash it all you want. We're still included. All those who miss the mark, the actual Greek term for the word sin, to miss the mark. We all have failed to meet God's expectations and standards. And so God, instead of turning from us and walking away from us, what did he do? He came to us and he receives them and he eats with them. He eats a meal. He eats Christmas cookies. The, you know, the peanut butter ones with the put your whatever. Stefanelli's, Romolo's, he eats it all. Wouldn't that have been a cool story? Walking down the road, Jesus breaks open a pack of Stefanelli's. <laughs> Romolo's, I'm not playing fair. Whatever your Polacos, okay? Can I, like, I just got a sidestep. I remember growing up here at church and the best part of Christmas, like the, like the last service before Christmas, we got uh big old candy bars from Polacos, right? Do you remember like the children in Sunday school got the Polacos candy bars? That was a good day. I'm just telling you. Like everybody showed up that day. I don't know if the budget allows for that anymore, but sorry. God and Jesus sat with us in our brokenness. 
the sins of the sinner and the sins of the self-righteous. God in Jesus has not abandoned us. Look at what, again, what is he accused of? Welcoming, receiving sinners. God in Jesus, Luke at the very beginning of this story sets it up. God in Jesus is with us. Verse three, so he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. There's that word, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me again, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Now, we realize the metaphor, don't we? We realize the metaphor. We understand what Jesus is saying. The concern of Jesus, the concern of God in Jesus, the concern of heaven is people. It's people. We got to get this right. The concern of heaven. Don't misunderstand what I'm about to say, so lock in. The concern of heaven is not simply what you do. The concern of heaven is you. It's you. That's why what you do matters. Because the concern of heaven is you. And we live in a culture and we've lived in a generation and perhaps we've grown up in a church culture and generation where we focused a lot on what we've done, our actions and our attitudes. And even the scriptures warn us about how we live. Why? Because of the action? No, because of you as a person and how it impacts you. But don't miss that heaven cares about you as a person. God looks at you and stepped out of heaven to be with you. Again, in the parable, Jesus even picks up on this, this whole Emmanuel process too. Did you see it? Verse four, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not, what's the word? Leave. Does not leave where he is to go find the sheep. Do you see the overtones of Emmanuel, God with us? Do you hear it? The overtone of Jesus leaving heaven to come to us? He leaves. He left where he was. And what does he do when he leaves? He goes to find the lost. Now that word, that's another one. We don't like the word sin, so we kind of whitewash it. We definitely don't like the word lost, right? We don't want to say somebody's lost. That's offensive. It's abrasive. It may make them feel bad, you know. But the reality is when we're not connected with God, we're lost. We're wandering. 
We try everything to fill our lives and to make it better. And it just, and some things may feel like it works for a while, but at the end of the day, there's just not that, that hope and peace that we talked about the last two weeks. And it's definitely, it definitely doesn't bring that deep seated joy. There's something remarkable that happens when we are connected to God through Jesus. It's astounding. It's mysterious. It's spiritual in the truest sense of the word. And Jesus is, is, is showing us, Jesus is showing us the, uh, the importance that God sees with that. As he left heaven, he, impo- he imports that into this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one is lost, doesn't he leave to go find the others? Isn't it interesting too, a couple other things. First of all, not only does he leave the 99 in the open country, but he goes after the one that was lost. He goes after. it, It means to move in a particular direction in a journey to move in a particular direction. God doesn't, God doesn't just look at us and see us wandering and go, boy, I don't, I don't, I don't where'd he go? I don't, know what, I don't know what's going on. What are we gonna do? God in Jesus moved in a particular direction. He went on a specific journey. You know what's interesting about the direction and the journey? Where was it? Where did, where did the one who lost the sheep, where did the guy go? Anybody? To where the sheep went. Right? He went to find the sheep that was lost. He took a journey in a particular direction. I think they're over here. I bet they got caught up in this thicket. I bet they're stuck over here. I bet they're wandering over that hill. Stuck, caught, wandering. Does it sound like lost? And Jesus goes in a certain direction to find them. Now, when he finds it, what does he do? Now, don't, don't jump to the rejoicing. Not yet. What does he do? When he finds the sheep that is lost, he lays it on his shoulder. If you talk to a number of people who are uh, outside of Christian faith, but they grew up maybe in a religious circle, they may tell you that uh, um, they would never set foot in a church because the walls would come tumbling down, right? The roof would cave in. You have, you have friends that tell you that. You invite them to church and they're like, oh, you don't want me to come to church. You don't know how bad I am. The roof would fall in. And, and Jesus is saying, I don't ever want you to feel that way. Why would you feel that way? Do you hear the compassion and the grace 
as Jesus tells this, this parable? Wouldn't the, wouldn't the shepherd leave and go after? And when he finds it, wouldn't he, wouldn't he pull it out of the danger and set it down and start screaming at it? Isn't that what Jesus said? That when we found the one that was stuck and, and, and wandering, that when we bring them back, we yell at them and we, we berate them verbally because of how bad they were? Well, no wonder people feel like the wall's gonna fall in. That's not what Jesus does. That's not God. God doesn't berate us. God puts us on his shoulders. And he says, I'll carry you back. I'll carry you back. Don't worry about it. Because for many of us, when we find ourselves in that spot, when we find ourselves lost, when we find ourselves wandering, when we find ourselves uh, 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 stuck in the thicket, sometimes we'll say things like, I don't know how to get back. I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know how to, I don't know how to get beyond this. I don't know how to make it work. And Jesus says, I do. I have you now. Let me just pick you up. I'll put you on my shoulders. And we'll figure this out together. But I'm going to take you back to where you belong. And in compassion and in grace and in gentleness, Jesus carries us. And then the rejoicing. You see what he says? Verse 8. When he finds it, he, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Don't, don't miss this. Before we move on to the next, don't miss this. When he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Not a finger pointed down, not anger spewing out, not an I told you so posture, but a posture of rejoicing. Verse nine. I'm lost. I don't know where I'm at. (laughs) Verse five. These numbers are really small in the Bible. Verse six. And when he finds it, And when he comes home, what does he do? He calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me. For I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you. So so I found my sheep that was lost. End of parable. Now, back in real time. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who think they have no need for it. He comes back rejoicing. Joy is expressed. He's happy. He celebrates. He cheers. That's why I love baptism. Don't you love baptisms? 
We're going to do another baptism in February. Be looking for that information in January. That's what I love about baptism. Man, when they get out of the water, we should be standing up and screaming at the top of our lungs. I don't know what's happened to North America. But we just kind of sit there. Where's my candy? And we miss it. Rejoice. Celebrate. Remember that message Pastor Rick gave like 38 years ago? And he ran over to the symbols and he just crashed the symbols. Rejoice. What is lost has been found. Heaven rejoices. You may not. That's fine. Heaven does. I don't know who we're trying to reflect, but we're not reflecting heaven if we don't rejoice. If we don't rejoice, we're not reflecting heaven. Joel Green writes this, Luke is clear that Jesus wants us to reflect in our practices God's own attitude towards sinners. Joy in being with people. Joy in reaching out to them. Joy in celebrating their restoration. If you think about it, we're getting an inside look at the heart of God, aren't we? It's how God feels about people who are distant and distressed and disoriented and agitated in life. God rejoices when people are restored. Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? Green goes on to indicate that with Jesus sharing this story, he's grounding the actions, the actions of this story, he's grounding it in the divine economy. This is how God moves. He steps out from where he is and he looks for you. If you ever say you feel lonely and distant and like God is never there, I'm just gonna tell you this. I understand how you can feel that. I just want you to know it's not true. God is searching after you. And he comes to find you. Not to berate you, not to talk down to you, not to yell at you, to lift you up, to put you on your shoulders and to bring you back. Do you know that God loves you this much? Do you know that God is willing to search for you? So today, as we close, I'm just going to ask you this. Remember at the start, I asked you this question. What does it feel like to be lost? The anxiety, the distress. What's it feel like to know that somebody you love is not with you? What's it like to wake up disoriented from the world that you're in? This morning, I simply want to ask you this. Are you willing to be found? Because God in Jesus is looking. God in Jesus is looking. And this Christmas and this Advent, the prayer is simple. If you want to be found, 
If you want to stop the wandering, if you want to get released from what's trapped you, the prayer is simple. Jesus, thank you for coming to me. Forgive my sin. I'm trusting you to lead my life. It's just that simple. And I like to end it with, I believe. Please help my unbelief. It's just that simple. And for everyone who prays that prayer, heaven rejoices. For everyone who tells us that they've prayed that prayer, we should rejoice. We should be happy. And so this week, let me encourage you to keep praying. Keep praying for those who are stuck and wandering. Keep praying for those who are disoriented in life. Keep praying. Because God has come and is looking for them. Emmanuel, God with us. And may we as First Alliance be people who are looking for them too. Not as projects, but as friends, as family, in our natural conversations, in our natural connections. May we always be able to introduce the hope of God in Jesus. I hope it's never said of our church that we sit with arms crossed and keep people at a distance. But I hope it's said that we gladly sit and eat with them and welcome them and help them see that God has come to them for joy, their joy and heaven's joy. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I would simply ask that for those of us who are considering where we've been and where we are and and we know we're stuck, we're disoriented, we're wandering. I pray that even if we don't understand it all, we would take this invitation to come to you in Christ to receive with joy and gladness, with faith, that Jesus can turn this around in my life. And so God, I pray that their prayer is just that simple. Forgive my sin. And Jesus, lead my life. I believe. And would you give me strength for those moments when it's hard to believe? Some of us this morning need to say that prayer, not because we're lost and don't know you, but because maybe we've started to wander off. Help us to come back. And God, forgive us as a nation for berating people, for embarrassing people, for being cruel with our words. Forgive us for not loving them as we should. Let us follow your example. 
It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.